0: Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is Celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our family joins online, people all over the world with us. Uh, remind you how we do our offerings. Uh, on the way out at the doors, ushers will be there with buckets and you, you can use the envelopes on the seat backs in front of you to put in any cash or check that you'd like to put in the offering. Many of you have gone online and signed up for recurrent giving. That's very beneficial to us. Or some people just use their phone, the Celebration Church app, and you could give us uh, an offering on that this morning. Uh, today is the first Sunday of Lent. Uh, started on... Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, had an amazing service. It was great fun Uh, and and time of fellowship and just focusing on our mortality, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, Uh, and the beginning of the Lenten season. What is Lent? Lent is a period of time. This was started fairly early in Christianity. What was happening was there were a lot of people who had become believers and they wanted to get baptized, but they wanted to get baptized on Easter Sunday because of the big deal of Easter. And they would do 40 days of prayer, repentance, fastings uh, up until that day. So they started Ash Wednesday. And it was so meaningful that other Christians started joining in with them. Pretty much every, everybody, all the Christians were doing it together. You say, does it say in the Bible we should do Lent? It does not. It also does not say we should celebrate Christmas or Easter, for that matter, or your birthday. There's lots of things that are not told us to celebrate, yet we celebrate nonetheless. They're certainly consistent. And many of these things are a matter of Christian tradition. The idea of turning away from wrong to do right is a pretty consistent <laughs> Christian tradition. So that's what we do during the season of Lent. It's also, as I mentioned, reflective of the 40 days of fasting that Jesus did. Um, but if you look at the calendar uh, and start with Ash Wednesday and count up to Easter Sunday, there's actually 46 days. Why? The 46. I thought it was 40. Well, it's because Sundays don't count. Uh, So what happens during uh, Lent is uh, people will either fast. For example, we are going to be doing Lenten services on Wednesday throughout the season. A lot of people Wednesday morning will get up. They won't eat any breakfast. They won't eat any lunch. and They'll wait until after the service to break their fast with the, uh, uh, the soup and stuff that we'll be doing together. So literally fasting. Others will just give up something that they like to do. Eat chocolate. I mean, I don't know whatever it is. Say, why do you do that? Because it's scriptural. Jesus said, if you're going to follow him, we have to learn to deny ourselves. If you never deny yourself, you're not doing this right. We're, not, we're Americans. We we're just, everything we want, <laughs> we just grab it all the time. Every conceivable uh, comfort that life gives or sweets or whatever. So it's good to just take a season of time where you just, just tell your body to shut up. All right. Our body should not control us. We should control it. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. So that's what happens during Lent. And so let's say you give up chocolate. On Sunday, you can take a bath in chocolate. Nobody cares. Okay. So that, that's why Sundays are off. It's just the way it is. Why is it off? Because Sunday is always a celebration of the resurrection, and they, think, they thought they shouldn't fast during those times. Anyway, that's the history of Lent. Whether you partake or not is uh, your own call. We encourage you to do it. I think it's a good thing to do. So today is the first Sunday of Lent. And during the season of Lent, during these six weeks up to Easter, uh, we're going to be encouraging people to stop by the table out there that's uh, promoting uh, sponsoring a child through Compassion International. Uh, By giving a monthly, you sign up to sponsor a child and it provides food medicine, schooling, they teach them about Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to do for people who are very far away from us that we do not know. So keep that in mind uh, as we encourage that during the season of Lent. If you've never sponsored a child, consider stopping out there and doing that. All right, today's message. Acts, the 16th chapter, verse 30. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So we're going to be talking about that today, about what does it take to be saved? And, uh, and I appreciate those of you who, you know, it's an interesting challenge in our congregation because we have some, some people have been Christians for just 40, 50 years, and others, this is fairly new to them. So we kind of just got to cover it all for people's different experiences And uh, I always appreciate the patience of the older ones when we talk about something that's very familiar. This is pretty familiar territory. But this morning, I had so many people already come up to me and said, oh, that was so helpful. Because these are people who just never knew some of these things. And uh, they're at different stages of their faith. So those of you who uh, will get something out of this, great. Pay attention. Those of you who know this in your sleep, stay awake. (laughs) By the way, I must confess that, uh, you know, um, uh, when you teach something that you really, really know your mind can race, uh, and that first service, I didn't even tell you this, uh, my mind was all over the place. I must've been thinking about three different things at a time while I was talking. And, uh, and all of a sudden I think, did I just say that? Or what did I just say? I'm going to try and focus more this time around. But I was, I, was, <laughs> I mentioned to one lady who's a teacher. She says, Oh, I used to have that problem all the time. When you're hanging there, it'll be Okay. Tell him to shut up. He's driving me crazy. Um, You're teaching new material. You stay very focused. But when you're teaching something you have taught a gazillion times, their minds can race. And I was talking to her. She says, she used to have the same problem. She said, especially when she had multiple classes toward the end, she wasn't sure what she'd said to anybody about anything. So I'm going to try and not just be on autopilot and actually pay attention to what I'm saying because this is a very familiar territory for me, but again, not to everybody. So uh, now before we uh, get into uh, how to be saved, that's what we're going to ask answer, because he asked, what must I do to be saved? We want to talk, first of all, what it means to be saved. So we're clear about that. Jesus said that we need to be born again. This is the salvation experience that we are referring to. How do we get being born? And why is it important to be born again? Because every person is born into the world uh, in sin because of the sin that entered the world when mankind rebelled against God. Uh, And we are like God. God is three but one. We are made in the image of God. We also are three but one. We have a body. We have a soul, our mind, intellect. And we have a spirit. These three things are what make us up. When our body dies, we still keep going because that's just one part of it. But we won't be complete. That's why there will be a resurrection we supposed just be in the spirit realm until the body comes up. We're supposed to be three in one. Here's the problem. We're born. We're all born. We have a physical body. We have a mind, most of us. Uh, but our spirit is dead. Every, the Bible teaches everyone who's born into the world is born, still born, spiritually speaking. We are not complete. It's, and every person on this earth who's ever come here knows something isn't quite right. They can feel it. they can sense it. Anyone who's honest at all, whether they want to believe in Jesus or not, will have to admit something is wrong. And they don't know what it is. It's the human condition, right? So they all have their different theories. That's why there's so many different religions. They're all trying to fix this. That's why some people turn uh, to, to money trying to fix it, or to drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever. They're trying to fix what's wrong. But you can't fix it. The only way it can be fixed is to be born again. That's when you come to Christ. He forgives you of your sins. You ask him into your life and he breathes his Holy Spirit into you. And it comes alive for the first time. For some of us, that's a rather dramatic moment. Many of us can remember the exact moment that happened in our lives. Others, not quite so. It kind of came slowly before it kind of dawned on this. Sometimes it's dramatic, sometimes it's not. That's not really the point. The point is it happens. It is a literal experience when God forgives us of our sins. It is a transformative event This is what Paul was writing about when he said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You're born again. That's salvation. That's what it means to be saved. So now to truly understand what is required for salvation, one must take the teachings of the New Testament as a whole and not just carve out one or two verses, when we do that, and many, many, many people do that, many churches, whole denominations do that. You'll, you'll notice it as I start talking about it, where they grab onto one verse, and they think, this is all you need to be saved. When we do that, we do a great disservice to people. Uh, and for some it works, but for a lot of people, they don't quite get it, and they get convinced they're okay when they're not okay. Well, I do that one thing. Well, it takes more than just the one thing. So we need to... Uh, the Bible says we're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth. We're supposed to look at it at all. Uh, and, and here's the mistake that we make. I we say, well, Peter said such and such, or, or Paul said such and such, or this one guy said such and such, and it's recorded. Uh, you have to understand, not everything they said was recorded at any given time. If it was, the Bible would be a lot bigger than it is. It's big enough. <laughs> they didn't record Every stinking thing they said when they described things. Here's an example. In the book of Acts, we read the story about Philip. Uh, We call him Philip the Evangelist because he was evangelizing people. I believe he was an early deacon in the church. Anyway, the account goes, Philip's walking along, and he sees this guy in a chariot. And the guy's reading out loud from the scroll of Isaiah about the Messiah. Philip goes up and says, and he says do you know what you're what you're reading and he says no i don't understand it so he starts to explain Jesus to him so that he could believe in Christ well the bible then right away says they're going along and he's up in the chariot with him and he says look there's water right here can i get baptized and philip says sure and i go baptized who said anything about being baptized that's the point they didn't say everything that they talked about clearly He talked about being baptized. That's why he stopped and asked. So that's why some of these things, it seems a little strange. We get the balance by looking at all of it. So let us begin. Number one, if you're going to be born again, you need to believe. Acts 16, 31. This is in response to that opening verse that we just read. What must I do to be saved? The very next verse says, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Again, they talk about more than this. They actually wind up baptizing the whole thing. So it wasn't just the one phrase, but they're just basically this is how he starts out the conversation. Uh, and by the way, this verse, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole your household. A lot of churches, particularly charismatic churches that I grew up in, uh, quote this as a promise. This is a promise in the Bible that if you get saved, your whole, all your family will be saved. That is a gross misinterpretation of this. That's not what he's saying. This isn't a promise. What he said, They're saying, how do I get saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. You, your whole household, anybody who wants to do this can get in on this. That's what Jesus thought, right? Whosoever will. Now, you can pray for your family to get saved, but to say, Lord, I'm standing on this verse claiming they're going to get saved, it's not a promise. It's just not. And by the way, be careful when you start praying prayers to change people. Something you have to understand, God does not overrule will. Free will is a very strong thing. You want to be a mean, nasty person? You can be a mean, nasty person. And God's not going to force you to stop being a mean, nasty person. People say, oh, Lord, I pray my husband will stop being more like this. No, don't pray that. He's not gonna, if your husband doesn't want to be that, he's not going to be that. You can pray, Lord, do whatever you got to do so he'll start being that way, that's fine. Or God, do whatever you got to do in this person's life or my children's life or whatever. But just to say, Lord, I pray you make them believe, they're not going to believe. God doesn't do stuff like that. So don't think in terms of prayer of overcoming people's free will. It doesn't work that way in any version of prayer. God can certainly influence people, but he's not going to force anybody to change. Uh, But, you know, it's like that old saying, you can uh, lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can't, however, put salt in his oats and <clears throat> might inspire him to start drinking. <laughs> There's a ways around it. I'm just saying, be careful with how you pray. All right. So number one, what do you got to do? You got to believe. Jesus said this, John three sixteen. This is when he's talking about being born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And by the way, some of these things that we simplify so much, because we don't, it's a it kind of gets lost in translation. Many Bible scholars say the word believe in the Greek meant to cling, trust in, and rely on. We think it's just a mental assent, You know, so the believing, even though it doesn't cover everything, their version of believe is different than ours. You can't just tell people to believe and that's it, to be saying. You believe in God? Yeah, 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 I believe in God. That's right. Believe in Jesus. Yeah, sure, I believe in Jesus. Well, you know. Well, that's what mean you're saved. Well, Bible says believe and you'll be saved. Well, yeah, but that's not all it says. Okay, that's what I'm trying to get at. Just believing, say, yeah, I believe, doesn't cut it, and to tell people otherwise doesn't serve them well. Why? Because now you've convinced them they're okay when they're not okay. That's the danger. See what I'm saying? You convince someone that they're okay when they're not okay. Quoting is just a part of the Bible. Uh, here's the next one. This one's a big deal. This one is virtually abused by every evangelical on the face of the earth and has for who knows how long. Romans ten nine. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart, you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. Again, this doesn't include everything, but it's part of it. So we went from believe to oh, walk well, away. You got to believe and you got to say it. So evangelicals have spent billions of dollars just in my lifetime printing tracts so people can say a prayer and repeat the prayer, have crusades, just have them come forward and repeat the prayer. I just heard Franklin Graham the other day on the radio, a great guy, does wonderful things for the kingdom. His father, most amazing evangelist the world's ever known, quite frankly. So it's not a slam on him, but it's just this evangelical, myopic look at things. And he's telling people about Jesus in this little 60-second ad. He says, if you'd like to ask Jesus in your life, repeat this prayer for me, Lord Jesus. I ask you to come into my heart, blah, 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 blah. And then he says, and now that you're saved, contact us. And well, I'm thinking, now that you're saved, they're not saved just because they said it. Some might get saved doing that. But to just tell people they're saved because they repeated something is not the whole story here. Again, we have done this, you know, forever in evangelical churches. You repeat a prayer, we stamp on your forehead, saved, and and tell them they're saved. And then whether they ever go to church again in their life, they think they're okay because they've been saved. You know how many people in America think they're saved just because they repeated a prayer? We've done this to people. Uh, We don't, I don't do it anymore, but I used to being coming from the evangelical world. That is not a clear balance of reversion. Of salvation, even though in this particular verse, it mentions that, but there's more. You've got to look at the whole picture. <laughs> I thought it was after the first service. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was a hippie. Okay. And uh, yeah, I had hair. Yeah. I also did a few other things. Uh, and uh, but, but, but I got saved and uh, we were always talking about, you know, everybody likes to get high, right? Yeah, We used to say, man, get high on Jesus. After we got saved, y'all need to get high on Jesus. Ooh, man, dude, you need to get high on, You can get high on Jesus? Yeah. So I'm talking to this guy. He says, I'd like to do that. I said, well, great. Let's pray. So we got down on our knees and we prayed and I had him repeat the prayer, asking Jesus in his life. And he goes, when does it kick in? <laughs> I said, what? I don't feel high yet. Okay. Oh my gosh! He literally thought he was like smoking marijuana or taking LSD because you can get high on Jesus. From that moment on, I never told anybody that again. But uh, but I was convinced. If you just get him say this prayer, they'll be high. In this case, he's literally thinking he's getting high. That's why I tell them just to repeat a prayer, if they don't really understand what they're doing, this doesn't accomplish anything and can do more harm than good. Now, without question. Multitudes of people have come to Christ through a lot of these crusades. I get that. But we've also done a lot of damage because we haven't given them the whole story. we want to give people the whole story. So can just saying a prayer do it? Uh, No, not really. Not just that. Here's Here's another verse that talks about saying stuff. Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So it's an important part of salvation experience. You need to tell people. Now, that doesn't mean you just walk up to everybody. Hi, my name's Fred. I'm born again. Are you born again? Uh, You're creepy then, okay? But at some point, you get to know people. And the more you get to you should be able to say, well, we're Christians. This is what we do. We believe in Jesus. Because you get close to anybody, they're going to ask you about your life, Right? You have friends. If you have friends, really close friends, and they have no idea that you're a Christian, you are failing horribly. You got to literally hide. And I know people do do this. They hide what they believe for fear of whatever. Don't do that. You need to let people know uh, that you put your trust in Jesus. All right. Here's another. One. Okay. So we got we got to believe. Uh, we got to believe and say it. Okay. Are we done? Apparently not. Here's the next one. Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is Baptist. baptized. Now we added something else. Whoever is believing and baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Pastor, is baptism important? Actually, it is. 1 Peter 3 21. This water symbolizes baptism that all now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But just getting baptized isn't going to save you. Now here, I'll pick on our liturgical brethren. And we are a conversion church. We try to bring all three of them, liturgical, evangelical, charismatic, all. And I don't, I don't think it should be one. I think it should be all of the above, all right, all three. Uh, but to pick on the hardcore liturgical people who have for centuries told people they're saved because they got baptized. And they'll quote this one verse, one verse, where it says here, uh, Not but baptism now saves you also. It's just part of it. You need to do it. You need to do all of the above. But just baptize. And that's, again, we don't get big fights about this stuff, but that's why we don't condone baptizing babies. How can you believe and be baptized when you're a baby? You can be baptized, somebody pour water on you, but does that really change you? We would argue, no, it does not. Again, not a big fight. We're just not in a fighting order doctrinal points here, but, uh, you know, it's just not a good idea. And so, there's so many people, there's millions of people, millions, millions of people who say they're okay and they're saved because I got baptized. Yeah, I baptized this baby. Seriously? And people have taught that. Why? Because they taught just one verse. And again, evangelicals love to beat upon the liturgical people for doing that one verse, but they're just as guilty with their one verse. They're not telling the whole story. You got to do it all. All of the above. Okay, so we gotta believe, we gotta say it, and we gotta be baptized. Are we done? Oh, apparently not. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Also hard for a baby to do. <clears throat> repent, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts three nineteen. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So now what? Now you got to repent. What does that mean? What he says, repent and turn to God. Repent means you're doing something bad and you'd stop and I'm going to repent. That's what the whole thing about Lent is. Obviously, when you first become a Christian to be saved, be born again, you need to make an intentional decision to stop doing what's wrong in your life. Uh, but even as a Christian, after you've been born again, we can get caught up in bad habits and Patterns And that's why this Lent thing is good because you stop, you reflect. I really need to stop doing that. And it's a time of repentance. All right. But will just stop doing bad things be enough to be saved. No, you can't. Ju- a lot of people think that. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not all that bad. Are you saved? yeah, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't kick the dog like the, my neighbor does. He's going to hell. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, don't do, I don't do that. I might scream at my cat, but I don't kick the dog, you know. No, that's still not it. Is that all, pastor? Are we done? Apparently we're not. <laughs> Here we go. This is the last one, by the way. Matthew 10, 22. Jesus said, you'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Matthew 24, 13. Who, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So now what are we getting? Not only must you believe, not only must you say it, not only must you be baptized, not only must you turn intentionally from wrong, but you need to hang on to this until the end. Say, Pastor, how will I know I'm totally saved? When do you get to the end? (laughs) Because a lot of people start and they don't finish. God forbid anyone hearing me this morning would fall in that category. Jesus talked about this when he did his parable of the sower, Remember, he's telling people a sower went out to sow seeds, some fell among rocks, and da-da-da-da-da. Well, his disciples came to him and said, what are you talking about? And he says, let me explain it to you. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away. That was sown in his heart. It was sown in his heart, but it didn't last. It was pulled out right, right away. This is the seed sown among the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Woohoo! But since they have no root, they last only a short time. As soon as trouble, oh, I got trouble, oh, we got trouble. Or persecution, people don't like me, becomes comes because of the word. They quickly fall away. They are not lasting to the end. This next one's when the scare is me. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Be careful. We all got to deal with life, but don't life, don't let life suck the life out of you. Don't get so consumed about everyday life and money and everything else that you forget about the next life. We should be taking our energies working toward the kingdom of God. We should always remind ourselves we're just passing through this place. We're just passing. This, this world is like on the last. It's all going to burn. You, just, you see something you wish you had, just remind yourself, hey, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn anyway, right? So he says, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. The implication is to the end. You get to the end. So, which is it, Pastor? Are there five different ways to get saved? No. You got to believe in your heart. You got to say it with your mouth. You need to turn from what's wrong. You need to be baptized. And you need to stand in your faith till the very end. The answer is all of the above. Even though in one particular verse, we see, well, just this was said. You have to remember, they're not recording everything that was being said. You get the overall... The Bible says we are to rightly handle the word of truth. King James says, rightly divide the word of truth. You get... Uh, and that's why you're not supposed to just go all crazy because of what one verse says. There's people who do that over a number of issues. They'll just quote one verse and they go all, all whack on it, But there's no other verses that back it up. You've got to look at the whole thing as a whole to get to the truth. So what's the answer? We got to do it all. Well, casual, I believe, yeah, I believe, cut it? No. Well, I said it. Will that cut it? No. Well, I'm not doing bad stuff anymore. Well, that cut. No. Well, I got baptized. Will that cut? No. Not all. You got to do it all. We have to remind ourselves. We got to do all of this. This is what the New Testament teaches. And when we do this, salvation comes to us. Praise God. So anyway, hopefully that helps some people. I actually stayed focused this time. I actually... Here's the thing. You wouldn't know that in the first service, I wasn't focused because apparently I can go into automatic mode and ramble aimlessly. And then at the end, I think, what did I just say? But it must have been okay because everybody said it was okay. But at this time, I actually paid attention. All right. Good for the pastor. Yay. <laughs> I don't know why you people come here. All right. Let's turn to our time of communion this morning. Uh right. Ask our ushers to get ready to serve communion. Now, Paul, in his epistle to the Corinthians, writes about communion. Whenever theref- whoever, therefore, he says, eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and the blood of the Lord. That's not a good thing, okay? He tells us, before you do this, examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And the warning again, for all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. That is not what anybody wants. So this is a good thing to do. We partake in the grace of God doing this. It's just another sacramental thing that we do. So before we do this, let's all bow our heads. Take a moment to reflect. And let me pray a prayer of forgiveness over all of us. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in thought, word, or deed, by what we've done, or by what we've left undone, if we haven't loved you with our whole heart, if we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, we ask you to have mercy on us and to forgive us of our sins. And this morning, maybe you're among the group who's never really experienced much of any of this. You can take your first steps of faith right now. Just ask Jesus in your own words to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. And you can take your first steps of faith this morning. Amen.